0: We want to give a shout out to Mission Barbecue, especially for hosting Armed Forces Week. They serve authentic American barbecue with a side of patriotism. And we'll be saying thank you to every branch
1: of Armed Forces May 13th to the 18th. All active duty military and veterans are invited to come in for a free house smoked barbecue sandwich on their own special day. Then on Saturday, May 18th, everyone is invited to Lunch with the Heroes. Get all the details at www.mission-bbq.com. Coming up on today's show, Hawk and I break down the biggest stories from the 2019 NFL Draft. Kyler goes number one, Rosen takes his talents to South Beach, and the AFC North favorite, Cleveland Browns, are feeling greedy. All this and more on a brand new episode of The Tomahawk Show.
0: Welcome back to the Tomahawk Show. It has been a while. We are presented by Uninterrupted. Listen, before we get into anything, it is draft week. We have a lot to talk about, a lot to recap. But first, we need you to follow us on social media, at Tomahawk Show. Use the hashtag Tomahawk to interact with us. We see all those tweets. We like to incorporate them in the show. We like to build community here with the Flock. So make sure you're hitting us up if you love what you're listening to. If you hate what you're listening to, we also want to know that. Also, we need you to rate us five stars and subscribe if you haven't already. Why? Because it's free, and it helps other people find the show, and that way you never miss an episode. We've heard you guys banging for us to come back, and here we are, my humblest
1: of co-hosts. Joe Thomas is in the building. Joe, how are you? I'm doing great. It was an awesome draft weekend. Uh, I got a chance to be in Cleveland for the first couple of days, mm. be right outside of the war room with John Dorsey and Elliot Wolf and Alonzo Highsmith and the Haslam's, and uh, it was an exciting time to be in Berea for a few days. Then I came back to Wisconsin and quickly hopped onto this podcast with my man andrew because i knew we'd have to do a little draft recap because i feel like the people want to hear what tomahawk has to say about the draft they always do man i thought
0: like we've been keeping our, our listeners hanging a lot this off season. we apologize we have our lives are going crazy joe lost 700 pounds he's on the <laughs> cover of every magazine you can imagine coming up and it's 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 been a wild ride we're figuring it out that's what people need to know we are trying to put this thing in place All right. So we'll just start with the draft. Obviously, that's just like you said, you were doing a lot this week. Who are you on like broadcast and media
1: stuff with? So on Thursday morning, I was doing a a bunch of media. It was like a media tour. I was working with USAA and uh, country music singer Chris Young, and he was putting on a, a hundred person concert for some soldiers in Nashville. So I was out there doing some media to promote that event. Uh, I helped Q and a that event and Mm. basically just got to enjoy an amazing concert in Nashville before I flew out to uh, Cleveland. And -hmm. then I did Brown's radio and Brown's TV Preview of the draft and then coverage of the draft as it was going down for the first two days. So, first round, a couple hours on, uh, was that Friday night or no, Thursday night? And then the second round was like four hours. Uh, Second and third round was four hours on Friday night. So, uh, most of that stuff was through the Browns radio network and uh, the radio stations that carry that out in the Cleveland area. The hot commodity that is Joe Thomas. Yeah, I I was I was
0: in Nashville too. Nashville was crazy, and we'll talk about that. But I I was in Nashville. (laughs) I did SportsCenter on Snap uh, Thursday and Friday night to recap Day One and Day Two of the draft, and then we also did a uh, a panel show like during the draft, four hours um, on Twitter, which was the it's like five million people watch it. Like, I'm not even exaggerating. <laughs> him, are you serious? Like, we probably had the biggest broadcast of any draft show because people get to just wow, jump man. in and out. They It's on yep. their phones, and they love it. But it was cool, man. So I, I was backstage in the green room for the first round, and we had all the first-round picks, like, coming through, and I was interviewing them, and we were kicking it back to the desk, and then I spent four hours on the desk when the Browns were picking. So it was it was awesome, man. I had Mina Kimes, uh, Mike Golick Jr. Um, who else is on there? Uh, Jason Fitz, Dominique Foxworth, uh, comedian Roy Wood. But Nashville in itself, I didn't know Nashville was gonna get as lit as it was. Like mm-hmm. I wasn't prepared for that. People really? were I did people always tell me how crazy Nashville is. Nashville isn't my party place of choice. I will be quite well, honest. You're a black
1: guy. That's where I'm a black guy, go to you know, I'm gonna go to Nashville. Miami.
0: Yeah. And that you know Black people go to Miami. That's our thing. White people go to Nashville. Nashville is That's white it. Miami. As simple That's as that. It. <laughs> but it was lit, man. Just grown ups getting drunk, partying. It was like, it was lit. It was the exact opposite lit that I would imagine uh, NBA All Star in Atlanta would be. But it was still lit nonetheless. <laughs> people were having a good time, man. I tell you, NFL, the NFL, draft NFL in Nashville. fans,
1: they love the NFL draft. It, it has become such an unbelievable event. And to think, what are they showing up to see? They're showing up <laughs> to see a man get his name called, walk across the stage, hug the commissioner, and then walk across the other stage. <laughs> and then leave. That's it. There's nothing more really to it. I mean, the NFL has done a masterful job marketing this. They really have. People excited about it. Now they're involving all sorts of celebrities and entertainers and Former players. I mean, I saw Tim McGraw was up on the stage announcing uh-huh. picks. They had former players like Jim Brown. I think Eddie George was out there. I mean, they're trying to make this like an entertainment event because, really, when, like I said, it boils down to the fact you're just watching a guy get his name announced. And by the time <laughs> the second and third round comes around, there's nobody that is even there attending anymore as far as players that are getting drafted. And so. Really, you're just listening to them get their name announced, and then all the the yahoos like you and me talking about, oh, this was a great pick, or oh, this is a bad pick. But really, nobody knows. That's the funny thing about the draft, too. It's like uh, all these people want to throw out their their draft boards and talk about, well, this team had a great draft, or this team did horrible. But really, all you're doing is looking at what was the team's needs, and did they draft positions (laughs) that they need? That's all the people are evaluating somebody's draft upon
0: you can't draft you can't grade a draft for five years at least like it's exactly. like we're just now able to draft to, to grade the 2014 draft yeah, <laughs> but automatically exactly. everyone's like oh so-and-so had a good draft so-and-so had a bad draft oh, yeah. right yes. all right so you so that so is let's, let's go do that Let's, let's, go do let's that now. So, exactly, that's a let's perfect tea up for, for exactly what we said <laughs> is annoying about the draft. Hold on, before we get into grades, because we already, I set it up for everyone to cut off the show already to be like, yeah, this is pointless. Um, <laughs> but before we get to that, you're right. The NFL has done a masterful job with the NFL draft, man. The way they've made it a spectacle, and it I'm not going to lie, it is fun. Even as a former it's a player, spectacle. there are a few things that I still view as like fun. And the draft Just being around That kind of energy In football Was even still fun But here's the thing I gotta I have a little Joe Thomas insight Where I think Tomahawk LLC Can make Hundreds of millions Of dollars Over the course Of 20 years All right. so when I Talked to Joe Thomas And We were in the draft city We weren't technically At the draft So we still have to Make our first appearance At the draft Because I didn't get drafted And you didn't show up Even though you were Top pick And when I asked you One time I said Joe Why didn't you show up You were like I could not find the value in me being there, right? And as I was there interviewing guys after, they were going through a car wash of me. This is the happiest day of their lives. And I'm not going to lie. Some of them seemed exhausted. Some of them seemed like, man, I'd rather be doing something else. Well, it's after a long that, few days. It's a long, it's few a long days. couple days. And it's exhausting
1: days. emotionally because you're waiting to see Basically exactly. how much money you're going to make. Everybody knows the, the, the slot that they get taken at and how much money you're going to make because of like the rookie wage scale right now. So, you're basically waiting to find how big that lottery ticket is that you just won. Exactly, man. So these guys are there and
0: they're not getting paid to be there. They just yep. want the experience of walking across the stage. So here it is. You ready? The Tomahawk Draft Party hosted by LeBron James, The Rock and Kevin Hart. Here's what it is. That should be no problem getting them there. I can't imagine
1: that they have anything else going on.
0: Not only will we have a draft party with our own stage, celebrity guest appearances, parties, green room set up for families. Everyone has an individual camera on their party that they came with so they can celebrate. We will also be paying each top of the top 32 picks $50,000 apiece to show up. They'll be there. So now that we have all 32 players coming to our party, celebrity guest appearances, we then are going to take it to a network to sell. And we won't call it the NFL Draft Party because there's probably licensing problems. We'll just call it... (laughs) tomahawk draft party and Mm -hmm. as the teams make the selection we will be then put the cameras on them and people will be watching our party and our award show they'll walk across the stage the same way we'll do something cool like christian wilkins did with the commissioner with a chest bump except the rock knows how to chest bump so Mm. he will be ready for it boom we just sold that show to i don't know pick a network Mm -hmm. hbo showtime CNN, everybody's getting behind that because we have all the draft picks. Who's not going to watch it? Tomahawk just made hundred million dollars in the course of a decade. Mm-hmm.
1: Too bad we had to spend two hundred million to make that hundred because <laughs> we got to get LeBron, Rock, and <laughs> Profit. <laughs> who's the other man. one? Who, who, Kevin who, who's Hart. Who's the third? And Kevin Hart. Yeah. Okay. So that should all be right, a so cheap we'll, fee.
0: We'll keep workshopping it. Let's just get to the draft. That's. Uh, right. I'll, I'll I'll finish. Trust me. You've Got to trust me on this one, Joe. All okay, right. So. Well. What was your biggest takeaway from the draft? Obviously, the biggest story was Kyler Murray going number one, which we all – it was a shocker because Kingsbury did not say that two years ago that that's exactly what he was going to do, and he did that. But he went number one. What are your thoughts about how that entire situation played out with Rosen going to Miami and that whole situation? I know you had some choice comments for our our good friend and colleague, Steve Smith, on his position on the (laughs) Rosen-Kurt-Murray conversation. And it's funny because – I feel like analysts are all over the place with this conversation. So it's like it's one of those true polarizing things that people feel one way and then other people like feel the other way and then no one sees the logic in the other person's side. So, why don't you walk us through what your thoughts are about the pick and the entire Rosen debacle?
1: Well, okay, there's a lot to unpack there, but first of all, I think Steve Keim in Arizona did a very, very poor job leading up to the draft because everybody knew they were going to draft Kyler Murray. And so Mm. they had this situation where they had just drafted a quarterback top 10 the year before. He hadn't gone out and done anything that proves Josh Rosen can't play anymore. I mean, he had no talent around him all season. He played okay, but he was on a really bad team and he was a rookie quarterback. So he's got a lot to learn, right? So we still don't really know what Josh Rosen is, but he has done nothing to prove that he can't play so they have this valuable asset this second year quarterback who's a top 10 pick the year before and they needed to trade him before they picked kyler murray because otherwise the leverage goes way down right Mm -hmm. so they did a very very poor job leading up to the draft building a market for josh rosen and getting competition between two two teams at least to bid for josh rosen and his services right so they did the unthinkable, which is they just held on to Josh Rosen, picked Kyler Murray anyway, and then had to deal Josh Rosen the next day of the draft for like a third-round pick and basically basically had to give him away to the Dolphins. So I think Steve Kime did a very poor job. Obviously, to me, when I look at the job that he did as the Arizona general manager in the last two years, I'm saying he's doing a horrible job because if you draft a quarterback top ten, then you – you uh, bring in a coach, Steve Wilks, and you fire the coach, and then you trade that top 10 pick. One year later, that says that your pick was a disaster. And you did Mm. a very, very poor job when you picked the coach and when you picked the player. But somehow the general manager still has his job. So to me, that says that the owner was the one that picked Josh Rosen and picked the head coach. And then now this is just a reset where Steve Kime is able to kind of get rid of the coach, get rid of Rosen and start over with his own coach who's Cliff Kingsbury, friend of the show. Yes, and, friend of the show. Uh, Kyler Murray who is his own quarterback. So, uh is, a little Cliff tough to Barry, know that, is he the only head coach that's been on our show? He's the only coach probably. period that's been on our show, I think. Yeah, we coaches probably don't like us very much. We were coach killers in Cleveland. We, were we got a lot of Kingers. coaches fired.
0: We got <laughs> Cliff Kingsbury hired, so we're both yeah. killers and creators. Yeah, there you go. Um No, I, I think for Cliff Kingsbury, it makes sense. Go get a quarterback you want to basically tie your ass to, right? That's all it comes down to with NFL head coaching is if you have a good quarterback, you'll probably keep your job longer than the next person. So you don't want your job to be predicated on a quarterback that you might not be sold on or you feel like there's another guy out there. He probably did think Josh Rosen was pretty good. He is good. I think that's the consistency on Josh. He has all the mechanics. He – had no O-line last year. His team was terrible. They fired their head coach after one season. That was a terrible situation for the kid. He didn't really get a chance to show what he's made of or not. For Kingsbury, he's not willing to, to test it out and wait. I'm going to go get my guy, and, and if I'm going to get fired, I'm going to get fired with somebody that I want to play with. In my mind, if you are picking Kyler Murray after going top ten with Josh Rosen last year, you have to feel like he is the future. This, this guy is so good, we cannot pass up on. which is fine. I actually applaud that. For you saying, like, you know what, I know we picked a quarterback last year, but it's about the franchise. It's not about making us individually look good. Let's go get the guy who is the best. But just like you said, the GM, uh, Steve Kime, is it Kime or I'm going to set up on this. Kime. Steve Kime. Steve Kime. His problem is that the selections you make are indicative of your resume, right? So he probably wasn't putting it out there that Josh Rosen was for sale because he was probably still lobbying for that not to be the case. Because immediately, once you pick Kyler Murray, like you said, that means you screwed up with your pick last year, which was Josh Rosen that you went all in on. So now when Kyler Murray balls out, Steve Kime is probably on the clock, meaning he's probably on his way out. When things go bad, he'll be the first one to go. Not Cliff Kingsbury because it's Cliff and his quarterback are tied together. Kime was tied to Rosen. And now that they didn't get much for him, he's kind of digging his grave even deeper, right? Um, beyond that, The conversations about like people being mad at Rosen for unfollowing the Cardinals on social media and saying he couldn't compete was the most ridiculous thing I think I've ever heard in that situation ever. I'm all for guys competing. I'm all for if they weren't able to find a trade that they thought was lucrative enough, keeping them and being like, okay, whatever, then you're cheap. You're just going to be here until we raise your trade value. But to make it seem like he's a bad kid or a bad person or – non-competitive because he was pissed off that they're going to go draft a guy first overall yes he would rather have not been drafted by the cardinals i would rather him not have been drafted by the cardinals if that was going to be the case you guys screwed this up not the kid that's just my position on it
1: so there's let's just let fans know there's one position on an nfl team that when you give the keys to that player he owns it for a significant length of time and there's not going to be back and forth so right. it's not going to be a true competition once one person wins it or the other because in order to succeed as a quarterback in the NFL you have to be given the whole team. You have to have the coach, the owner and all the players understanding that this is your team as the quarterback. It's un it's it's unlike any other position on the field. It like right. for Steve Smith as a receiver, you can draft another receiver and you guys can compete for the first job and whoever wins it you know, might win at week one, but then Uh if he doesn't play well enough, they might put a different guy in there week two. So quarterback is just different, right? So we're going to put that out there. Then on top of that, when you draft a quarterback number one overall, you have said at some point, you will be given the starting job. May right. may not be the week one of the season, may not even be week one of his second season, but at some point that number one overall pick will be given the keys to the franchise and it will be his team no matter what that other quarterback does because when you draft a quarterback number one, you're putting an enormous amount of resources into that player. And Absolutely. as a head coach, as a general manager, as an owner, when you draft a quarterback number one like that, You get fired if he doesn't go out and get the keys to the team and become the starting quarterback because that just says that you're horrible at your job if you draft a quarterback (laughs) number one and he doesn't win the job at some point. Now, what the Browns did a year ago, they were hoping that Baker could sit and watch and then become maybe the starter in year two. Now, -hmm. it just so happened that Tyrod got... Hurt early on in the season, Baker went in, played so much better than anybody could have ever predicted because he played better than any rookie quarterback in the history of in the, the league history of the NFL, yeah. and was able to go out and play really well as a rookie. And then he became the long-term starter right away. But at some point, Josh Rosen was not going to be the quarterback of the Arizona Cardinals, and Kyler Murray was going to to be the starting quarterback of the Arizona Cardinals no matter what Josh Rosen did. If Josh Rosen played as well as he possibly could and he started the whole season and he won eight or nine games, you know what the Cardinals would probably have done? They would have had a good value for him and they probably would have traded him after the season because Kyler Murray is their guy. He's the guy that fits with what Cliff Kingsbury wants to do on offense. And so no matter what Josh did he wasn't going to be there long-term. So you might as well get out now and get a fresh start somewhere else where you can be the guy. And so that's be what he guy. wanted. And so that has nothing to do with his competitiveness. That has nothing to do with him wanting to be given something and not have to compete for it. J- Steve Smith is just wrong when he when he's talking about competing for a starting quarterback spot with a number one overall pick. It just doesn't happen.
0: It doesn't happen. And people got to realize this is a business. I, I just... I roll my eyes when everyone like tries to tough guy the every situation like you gotta have, you got this yeah. is football so like the, you can't this is football son everything and this is like <laughs> one of the textbook situations where that is not applicable. Another quarterback that got drafted early on that nobody expected was Daniel Jones out of Duke. Um, there was a tweet that went viral where someone said Daniel Jones looks like the guy that they would pay they would cast to play Eli in a movie about Peyton Manning. (laughs) So the consistency is basically that the Mannings basically made this pick for the New York Giants. Giants fans were not happy about it, to say the least, Joe. What were your thoughts on that pick, man?
1: Well, I am not a draft guru, so I don't really know all the players in the draft, but I've been following it a little bit because – I had the weekend in Cleveland, and I'm a big Brown stand, so I, I do follow a little bit of this uh, chatter, and I thought it was really interesting because most of the people that are the draft gurus that do nothing but draft and, and college prospects 365 days a year said that uh-huh. Daniel Jones was probably a second or third-round pick. He was mm. not certainly not a top-ten pick, and if the Giants really wanted him, they would have been smart to just... Take him with one of their other picks in the first round, or maybe even to the second round, and get a better player with that number six overall pick. So, uh, on top of that, a lot of people had Dwayne Haskins as the better prospect at quarterback, potentially for the Giants. So, um, I think there there could have been some some interesting things at play with this pick because supposedly there's a, a he he was a Duke quarterback. Yes, who only completed like fifty percent of his passes. Yes. He's not not a highly uh, accurate, let's say. I mean, granted, you could say, oh well, the Duke receivers have dropped a lot of his passes, but um, I think it was everything you need to know about this pick was when you were watching the draft and they're showing a Cowboys fan when the Giants drafted <laughs> Daniel Jones, and as soon as he heard it, he instantly <laughs> erupted into. This most joyous of celebration (laughs) that he could not believe that the Giants would have used such a high pick on a guy that's coming out of Duke that doesn't have a great completion percentage, that wasn't really rated as a high draft pick, (laughs) and then that allowed the Redskins, so I'm sure the Redskins were pretty excited, to get their quarterback, Dwayne Haskins, who a lot of people thought was the best quarterback in the draft.
0: Yeah, I have a conspiracy theory, and I'm going to shoot right, it go. to you. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. Gettleman trades OBJ to the Browns. Giants fans hate it. They think it's stupid. Gettleman also kind of gave Eli a stamp of approval at a time when people thought they were ready for another quarterback. They have Giants fans don't feel great about Gettleman's tenure as the GM, right or wrong? Right. Let me help you out there. Okay, so. The fact that they don't think that he's a good GM, maybe he sees the writing on the wall. I'm not gonna be here very long, right? (laughs) General managers make, how much do general managers make a year? Probably about a million dollars a year. That's not right? They're
1: probably, I would guess, two to three million. Okay. you And if you're a guy like John Dorsey, who's done it for you know twenty some years, you're you're probably going to get at the higher end of that. If you're a first time guy, it's probably you
0: yeah. Know, will, you know, we'll I say we'll say Gettleman's making about one point five million a year. Good money, well, great money. He's great an experienced money. GM. Okay, two million. I give him two. I'm not going over two for the the uh-huh. deals that he's done so far. I will be flabbergasted if they're paying him more than two million dollars a year. It's called highway okay. robbery. So the guy's making two million dollars <laughs> a year, right? Maybe he's like, you know what? I'm gonna get fired soon. I'm not gonna be able to turn this around fast enough to get the credit. Even if I did tank for the, all the best draft capital and draft picks, someone else is gonna be able to come in and score on it. I That's the Sashi
1: that's, a Sashi the Sashi. that's the Sashi Brown.
0: So he's like, okay, I'm gonna
1: take the bullets, and then somebody else is gonna.
0: I'm gonna take the bullets. So what? How do you account for the money you're gonna lose long term by no longer being a GM and nobody else hiring you ever again in that position? Well, what you do is you cut a deal with a young kid named Daniel Jones, and you say, if you go <laughs> in the top five, wow. you get a guaranteed $20 million. If you go in the second or third round, you get maybe, what, $6 million contract total, five ma- six million to total. $10 million deal. Yeah. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to draft you number four, but the deal is you have to split that extra $12 million with me right down the middle. Mm. done done wow boom Gettleman just made himself an extra six million dollars by pushing a third or second round quarterback to the top of the draft knowing he's going to get fired anyway get the rest
1: of his guaranteed money boom we need the tomahawk lawyers to look into if <laughs> that is true did they break any laws did they would they break you, break be, any would you laws? be breaking laws by doing that a quid pro quo I wonder all the sorts? time it has to go on. It, it's like the, it's like
0: the uh, the Hollywood college admission scandal. Ooh. Like they're paying five hundred thousand dollars just to get people into USC. It's like, yo, you're better off just paying a tutor,
1: do some, have someone do his homework for <laughs> half that price, and they'll get in. I, I think they probably explored the tutor role, but these kids were probably so lazy and <laughs> so dumb themselves on social media. How dumb media do you have to like, be? No. I don't, <laughs> don't want to call kids dumb, but how,
0: like. Dumb, do you have to be for your parents to spend five hundred thousand dollars just to get you into school, as opposed to being able to use five hundred thousand dollars to get you into a decent school?
1: You know, the, the thing that I found interesting about the whole college admissions thing is, like, if you're wealthy, like you're super rich, and you want to get your kids into a school, what do you do? You just buy a building, right? You donate twenty million <laughs> to the business school. There's a formula for this. It, then, yeah, you get right. But so this was like. Somebody, I forget the name of the guy that put together this scheme, but basically what he saw was an inefficiency in the marketplace of getting kids into schools that they want because he saw, all right, if you're super wealthy, you just buy the building, but if you're poor, you can't do anything. But what if you're like medium wealthy? How do you get your kids into school? I don't have enough money to build a building, but I got this extra half a million to a million. And so he saw that large gap that was being not serviced in the market. And so that's what he came up with was, well, we'll just buy off all the admissions people.
0: I'm now seeing like another window of opportunity for us, the Tomahawk. This show, this one show we're going to point to that catapulted us over a billion dollars Um, In revenue, because what if we did this, Joe? What if we started a group for the people that now, like you said, that medium wealthy area where it's like, yeah, I have half a million to a million, but I don't have 10 plus million for a building. Mm -hmm. Right. We basically start a group of people that put all their half a millions and millions into the pot. We go to the college with a total of 10 million for a building, but we need all these kids to get into school. Right. So now you hit the regular formula that, the, that everyone else always uses, which is buy a building your kids get into the school. And it's a legal way that it's like, hey, we couldn't I didn't have 10 million on my own. But me and 20 of my friends want to donate a library and we want our kids to graduate from the University of Wisconsin. So what are your thoughts? We become the middleman. We take a little off the yeah. top.
1: I like taking a little off the top as the middleman. But isn't it interesting in in our society, in our country, that if you're like uber wealthy, it's totally legal to donate a building. If you're like super wealthy, donate a building, put your name on it, get your kids into school. Nobody bats an eye. But if you're just wealth, you're just regular rich. That's against the law, and we're going to throw you in jail because you don't have enough <laughs> money to do the building. So Daniel Jones, so you're convinced that David Gettleman knows he's going to get fired, so he brings this deal to Daniel Jones where he says, I'll draft you at number six overall. We'll split the yep. difference, and when I get fired, everyone will be happy. Right. Yep, that's it. That's like it was so have to my, be a genius my move. Biggest issue, you know, my biggest issue with what the Giants have been doing in the last 18 months is and specifically with the Daniel Jones selection is you you draft a young quarterback number 6 overall he's now your quarterback of your team of the future potentially this season mm-hmm. but they still have Eli Manning who they've said yeah we're going to try to put a good team around him and we're still kind of in that win now mode but yet they traded OBJ so that's that sends a signal that they're rebuilding and they mm-hmm. drafted Saquon Barkley last year, which says we're in win ma- now mode because when you have a running back, every time he gets the football, he's a little more tread on that tire wears off and they don't have a, a really long and uh, valuable career because of the beating and the pounding they have. So if you mm-hmm. have a star stud running back, you're essentially saying we got to win now. It's not in seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years because that running back will probably be worn out by that time. Um, so... They just don't seem to have a clear direction or a clear plan right now in New York. We don't know if they're rebuilding or we don't know if they're in win-now mode. And until they get rid of Eli and they've put Daniel Jones in there as the starter, we, we don't really know what they're trying to do. Yeah. Because with Eli, they're not in win in the future. They're not in rebuild mode. It's like, yeah, we have like a year or two to try to win because Eli is getting older. Right, and I don't... I Again... In today's
0: NFL, I agree with you 100%. Because in today's NFL, I think it's a myth that you quarterbacks get better once they get to the league. Now, let me put some context around that. In the last 10 years, can you think of a quarterback that we've seen play in the first two years of their career in game action that got considerably better than what they put on display in those two years? There's been instances where they've got considerably worse There's been instances where the people around them got better. And, yes, obviously the experience helps you, but the two things for quarterbacks that I do not think change are accuracy and decision-making. Those are like my one and two things. I feel like the quarterbacks who are accurate and make good decisions in the NFL were probably accurate and made good decisions in eighth-grade football, to be quite honest. So being 6'5", having a rocket arm, you know, having all the the measurables, running a fast 40, being athletic, that's all cool. But if you can't make good decisions and you're not an accurate quarterback, I don't give a damn how many years we give you. It is not going to change. Like, I just don't think I don't think I don't think Jay Cutler got better. You know what I'm saying? He was a solid quarterback. He's, yeah. he, he accomplished a lot, but he still was bad To the, from the start to the finish. He made questionable decisions, you know, and then. That doesn't change.
1: You know, it's interesting. I I would love if we had a great researcher on the Tomahawk team to go back and see how many quarterbacks that were big, physical, strong-arm guys that didn't win a lot of games in college, didn't have a high completion percentage, had not succeeded as a quarterback, turned into great quarterbacks in the NFL because the coaching all of a sudden gave them better decision-making skills and better accuracy. It's like you never see that. The no. quarterbacks that succeed in the NFL, like you said, are accurate with good decision making, and yeah, some of them have really good arms and are big and and athletic, a la yep. Cam Newton. But but that's who they've been the whole time. They were always winners with good decision making skills and good accuracy. Yep, and that's that's what
0: it comes down to, man. I, that, yeah. I think, to be honest, the, the rocket arm guys are the ones that trick you, right? Because they, when but they're high school. Consistently
1: trick you. They yeah, consistently like when you're high school. trick these guys in the NFL.
0: Because at the top, everybody's good, everybody's fast, everybody is a professional, and if you're playing quarterback for Duke and you're throwing passes on Louisiana Monroe at La Tech State, Mm. like, yeah, you're going to look like a a top five pick, but when those corners are a little faster, when those linebackers move as fast as the corners do, when those D linemen are coming down your throat with four 340s, I don't know if you're going to be able to stand in there the same way, you know? So... Like I said Baker is a good example of that like to be quite honest I went to Browns practices not to say he was bad because he wasn't but you don't get to, you don't go to a Browns practice you don't see the Baker Mayfield on Sundays that you do at practice and maybe they do now like maybe it's a little different but when we were like building up to that you could see he was like you could just tell he had it but it wasn't just where he was just oh dime here dime there boom like he did, he was learning like how the NFL worked still but once you got him in the game, like if you would have put Baker in the game week one, yes, he he was the best rookie ever. He probably would have done the same thing he was doing in week 14 <laughs> in week one. And then next year, it'll yeah. probably be more of the same. That's not going to change. He's a good yeah. decision maker, and he's accurate. Yeah,
1: yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to see what Baker looks like week one this year because he's got all offseason to work with his receivers, uh, to work in that offense. He's got all training camp to be the starter, to be playing with the ones, to – fully understand the game that much more and as a quarterback you grow so much in years one through four you have so much tremendous mental growth there's going to be some physical growth too with like footwork Mm -hmm. and and your um, your delivery because you're working with the best coaches in the world, but that decision-making and having those experiences that you get in training camp, when you throw an interception, when defense does fool you with the coverage, or when you, on the other side of it, you do make the right check at the line of scrimmage. You do give the the audible to the receiver to change his route because of something you saw with the coverage and that confidence that you build, and all of a sudden... I think Baker is going to blow the doors off of us, even surpass all of our expectations where already are really high in week one. I think it's going to be tremendous.
0: Yeah, man, that's the perfect segue into the Browns draft because they made a lot of picks this year, obviously, but they had the luxury of just spending house money because the team is already so talented and people have kind of anointed them as the top team to, to, to beat in the AFC North. So this year we didn't have to pull as much, it was a, which was a different position that Browns teams have been in for a while. It's like, oh, okay, let's just let's add depth to places. Let's really kind of build this team out um, with the picks that we have. So, what what was your takeaways from this year's draft from the Cleveland Browns? And we'll we'll, mm-hmm. we'll dive re- right into it.
1: Yeah, being in the building for the first three rounds was really interesting uh, because typically draft day in Cleveland. Everybody's nervous. There's a lot of excitement, but it is the unveiling of the new franchise quarterback because for 20 years, the Browns have pretty much every year been looking for their franchise quarterback in the draft. And a lot of times it was with a high first round pick this year. Totally different. Baker Mm -hmm. Mayfield's in in charge. We expect Baker to be the quarterback in Cleveland for the next 15 to 20 years, if all goes well. And so they didn't have to look for that franchise quarterback. So there was like this relaxed calm in Cleveland for the first three rounds because, like you mentioned, all they had to do was just add depth, just watch the best players that were available at the positions that they're trying to add depth to and just take those guys. There was no panic. There was no glaring needs that they had to fill especially after getting odell beckham that was such a huge uh, trade in the offseason because Ah. the browns needed a big play weapon at receiver down the field they had jarvis but he's not your down the field threat so they needed that down the field threat they didn't exactly see it in the draft i think there was only maybe one receiver taken in the first round of the draft this year there wasn't Uh, there wasn't a clear stud Yep. two. The okay. There was no clear stud at receiver who could fill that void that the Browns needed, and so John Dorsey smartly went out, fleeced the Giants, took Odell Beckham. They they had to give up their first round pick this year, but I thought it was really funny when uh, the Browns had their press conference after the first round was over, and John Dorsey came to the podium. And, of course, they didn't have any picks, so there wasn't a whole lot to talk about except for maybe uh, looking forward to the second and third rounds the next day and potentially talking about um, what had happened from other teams and and sort of the trends that were developing on their draft boards. Uh, But John Dorsey came to the podium and said, I'm very happy to have Odell Beckham as the 17th pick (laughs) in the 2019 NFL draft because that's exactly what he was, and that's how they looked at that pick. And that's why it was such a shrewd decision, because they got a generational talent at the position that they needed, and they gave up a first-round pick. And yes, okay, some other things as well, but they were able to fill that void knowing very well that that void was not going to be able to be filled in the draft with rookies.
0: Absolutely, man. And, that's again, that's like the luxury of everything that John Dorsey has done so far. So they go get Greedy Williams in the first round. Another H, LSU product. Second, which round, is
1: second round.
0: Second round. I'm sorry. They go get Greedy Williams in the second round. He was projected by some as the top corner in this draft. I still don't understand why he dropped or like why they were even, even able to get him at that. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping it's because they said he couldn't tackle.
1: He said he's that's, not great. That was the speculation. Everyone said, well – He's he's not a a willing tackler. He doesn't love to tackle, so he falls. Yeah. But I can't figure that out. I'm so okay with that, it's not even funny. Yeah, like like people forget that Dion yes. he, he wouldn't even pretend to tackle. I mean he would he would step out of bounds to get out of the way.
0: He because would he's trying it, to
1: preserve himself.
0: In a press conference, like, yeah, I I'm not here to tackle. That's not what they want me here
1: for. So yeah, it, I mean it, it's smart. Because as a cornerback, you get paid to cover. And the last thing you want to do is get hurt trying to do something that's not in your job description. Let right. some uh, other big dude go tackle the ball carrier. If if the person with the ball is coming at you, and I'm the best cover corner in the NFL, and I can make that tackle and save five yards, but potentially 50-50 chance I'm going to get a concussion or break right. a shoulder, a collarbone. I'm getting out of the way. I, yes. I need to save myself for that next first and ten when they're going out going deep. And I, I need to be able to run with the receiver.
0: Look, it's it's like this. As you know, Joe, we played together, right? And you know I was I was I very prideful in my blocking, right? You were. And they were like, Man, Hawk will go block you know why I was so prideful in my blocking? Because you had to. Because I had to, Joe. If I was put <laughs> and ran a four three and could jump over anybody and make every catch, I can promise you I would not have blocked either. So if, Greedy, <laughs> if what we lose in tackling with Greedy Williams we get in his coverage ability, sign me up. We are in very good shape. So for it. L- L- Greedy Williams... Say,
1: go ahead. Oh, look, I'll just say it was really cool being in the Browns radio studios because after Greedy was drafted we got to have him come on the show and so we got Mm -hmm. to talk to him and we got to listen to his interviews and I was totally blown away with how charismatic and how funny and fun Greedy was when he was talking to the media. He was so excited. He was. It it was so funny. He had a a draft party back in his hometown at a Holiday Inn Mm. with all of his family and friends that were there and they were so jazzed and I always get a little bit concerned about a guy who's Potentially going to be a top 15, top 20 pick. Maybe the first corner off the board like a lot of people thought. And he drops into the second round. He gets drafted to Cleveland, a guy from the South, a guy from warm weather. A lot of times in the past, when you get drafted to Cleveland, there's kind of a a little bit of a letdown. Like, oh, I was hoping to play in a big market or Mm -hmm. in warm weather, you know, Miami, New York, blah, blah, blah. And there was none of that with this guy. He was over the moon, and he was so excited, and he was so happy, and he was so fun and funny. He even said... I don't know anything about Cleveland except we we're going to win the Super Bowl this year. And then we had him on our show, and he was just so funny because we we asked him about how he got his nickname, and he said it was because um, he always would drink uh, whole milk, and and his his grandma or his aunt nicknamed him Greedy because of like how much milk he would drink. <laughs> and I'm like, man, now this guy's going to get a milk endorsement. He's going to be right. on the Got Milk commercials in Cleveland. Uh, but he, he was just a lot of fun. And to me, it said a lot about him as a person. But yeah. it also said a lot about the pivot that the Cleveland Browns and the city of Cleveland has made in yes. the last year. How Cleveland now is the cool spot to be, OBJ, exactly. Baker. The kids, they love they love Odell. They love Baker the kids out there that are going to be rookies and going to be drafted in the next uh-huh. few years they they're dying to go to Cleveland to play with Odell to play yep. with Baker to go to this city that LeBron came back to to win yep. a championship i mean it is the cool place to be and i think that is one of the most awesome things that i've been a part of not that i'm a part of it but but that you i've seen part of in my NFL about? career
0: No, i mean you i mean that's 100% right it's just it's it's weird to even like watch other players get excited about that and there's actually another story tied to that that we'll get back to. But all right, so the, the other Browns picks were linebacker, I'm going to butcher all these names, Sion Taki. Sione
1: Takitaki. Taki.
0: Takitaki. Um, Sheldrick Redwine, Mac Wilson, Austin Siebert, Drew Forbes, Donnie Lewis. Of those picks, who are you most excited about? Do you have any intel of what the thought process is of mm-hmm. why the Browns got them and, and what's your take on them?
1: Well, I've been saying for a while that I think the Browns between rounds four and six are going to take an offensive lineman, a development guy, and I think Drew Mm -hmm. Forbes fit that mold perfectly. Southeast Missouri, small school guy, but you find a lot of really quality offensive linemen in those four to six rounds when you go to those small schools. Because a yeah. lot of times these guys have the talent, but they just develop later in life, right? They were smaller guys, or they had some grade issues, or whatever those were, and they got to college, all of a sudden they matured or mentally or physically, and they turned into really good players, but because they were playing against lesser competition, a lot of times GMs are a little bit less willing to pick them high in the first, second, third rounds. But you're going to still get this amazing potential talent. And when you draft them in the fourth, fifth, sixth round, you give them an opportunity to come into your program, to learn NFL techniques for two or three years. And a lot of times these guys turn into be really good starters for you. But you don't have this huge investment in them. Like right. you'd have a first or second round pick, so it doesn't hurt you to l- let them sit on the bench and learn and develop and become better players. So I thought that was an awesome pick. I was excited partly also because I'd been calling it for a while. So when anytime <laughs> something happens that you've been calling, you feel yeah, really, really good about it and you feel really yeah. smart. But I what I really liked about this Browns draft was it was all defense except for a kicker, which doesn't really count offense he's or half, defense, he's half and an op- a half opposite half, guy, a half. And no. the Drew Forbes, who was the offensive guard. Um, so they knew that they were thin on defense. They have mm-hmm. a lot of talent on defense, but a bit thin at linebacker at yep. secondary and defensive line. And what do they do? They went out and they drafted a cornerback in the second round, a linebacker in the third round, a safety in the fourth round, which were their top three needs. And then yep. another linebacker from Alabama, Mac Wilson in the fifth round. Uh, offensive guard, and then they went back to cornerback Donnie Lewis in the seventh round from another small school. So I think yeah. the, the trend that you're seeing from John Dorsey, which is really shrewd on his part, is you get those small school guys in the later rounds to fill mm-hmm. some of those positions that you're a little thin at, and those are the guys that you're going to be able to keep around for a few years and let them develop, yep. and not a lot outside. of times they're going to blossom. You know, you were a smaller school guy. I mean, Toledo's yep. not a small school. It's not Division no, two. No, it's true. But it's smaller, and so those are a lot of times the guys that are going to blossom even more when you get them in the NFL environment and you get them playing against that top-notch
0: competition. Exactly, man. I think what the Browns did. I think that's why fans like John Dorsey so much because the fans can see the vision, right? Yeah, so we, go strategy, out and we right add there. we add all these top names, and like, yeah, we're a talented team. Our offense is stacked. We don't need offensive players. Right, so what does he do in the draft? He doesn't draft a lot. He drafts nope. a guard to kind of help with depth because Zeitler is now in New York, and he goes and get a safety to kind of fill the Jabril Preppers need yep. in the room, right? Mm-hmm. And then he goes gets two corners because that's a need. So and the linebackers had some some missed tackles. Ah, uh, last year that were a problem. Yep. Jamie Collins is gone. Christian Kirksey coming back from injury. So for fans, they look at this draft and they say, "Oh, this makes sense," and it makes them even <laughs> more excited. Like it's, you know it's not that hard, right? It's yeah, just like, yeah, this
1: this is perfect. And that's what fans have got to be thinking in New York. It's not that fucking hard, but we've got David Gettleman who makes it look like he's trying to perform brain surgery blindfolded, right. backwards, and naked. But then you look. I mean, John Dorsey is running something that's completely polar opposite of the things that are happening in New York right now, and fans (laughs) are just like, "Yeah, we're just relieved. We're just, yeah, we're excited. We're happy." But this is how it's supposed to go. It's not that hard. You're picking college football players to fit in a team that has some needs. So just go do it. Just and they don't even care. Don't be stupid. They don't
0: even care. Like of which ones you get like they didn't they don't they never heard of takitaki before no yesterday or this weekend
1: yeah you hear mel kuiper and you read the draft reports just like (laughs) all of us do but it's not like you're sitting there watching all 14 of his games from last year and breaking down his uh his grades and nobody's doing that so you don't really know any better than what the what the gurus are telling you and does it fit to what my team needs Exactly. They're gonna give him the benefit of the doubt. We need a linebacker, you got a linebacker, we're gonna
0: trust it. he's good. <laughs> I actually do like Taki Taki a lot because after they draft him, I went back and watched a couple of games. Mm-hmm. He's not gonna jump out at you like he's not the the big, tall, super fast physical specimen or anything, but he has a nose for the football. Like mm, dude he's in the world home. of like Vontez Burfick, who again was a five flat forty guy, you know, nothing really to write at home about if you watch him in shorts and a t shirt, but he, he just had a different instinct to him that made him like, really, really good. He had the extracurricular stuff, which I don't think will be a problem for Taki Taki, but, I mean, as it, as it pertains to football, his football mind, his instincts were top-notch. Keekly has the same thing, but Keekly also has the phys- physical specimen part. I feel like Taki Taki is somewhere in between those two, in between yeah, I- the Devontae and the Keekly, but the same kind of notes for the football.
1: There was a little – I had a little experience with Taki Taki because he played against Wisconsin, uh-huh. Uh, when BYU played Wisconsin, and he absolutely manhandled us. So I do remember watching that game going, who is this dude? He's crushing us. And when they announced him, uh, the Browns had the press conference, they announced him after the pick. That oh, was the that very dude. first thing our scout said is, when you turn on the tape against Wisconsin, he was all over the place. He kicked their ass. And thinking, they were scouting you
0: know, the old at Wisconsin, and Taki Taki kept jumping out on the film. That's exactly what happened. Yeah, they were looking like, for the next Joe Thomas. And they found Taki Takitaki. All right, we want to give a shout-out to Mission Barbecue now, especially for hosting Armed Forces Week. They serve authentic American barbecue with a side of patriotism.
1: And we'll be saying thank
0: you to the Armed Forces May 13th to the 18th.
1: All active-duty military and veterans are invited to come in for a free house-smoked barbecue sandwich on their own special day. Soldiers, march in on Monday the 13th. Marines, they'll be ready for you on Tuesday, the 14th. Navy, sail in on Wednesday. Air Force, land all day Thursday. And Coast Guard, they're on the lookout for you, too, on Friday. Then, on Saturday, May 18th, America's actual
0: Armed Forces Day, everyone is invited to Lunch with the Heroes, get a free sandwich, meet heroes from every military branch, and proudly be a part of our live singing of the
1: National Anthem at noon. Want to learn more, check out www.mission-bbq.com. Speaking of other things that happened in the draft, let's move on to some other uh, storylines that are interesting. Perfect. Quarterbacks, Dwayne Haskins to Washington. There is real concern, and I would say more likely than not that Alex Smith's career is over as a quarterback. Is that because of the injury or just because they drafted Haskins? The injury, no, the injury. um, Mm. From high-level sources in that building, the staph infection in the leg was really, really bad, and they had to take a a bunch of uh, him. They cut out a bunch of his leg. and I mean, he's lucky to be alive right now. So The situation is really bad, very unlikely to play again. Um, Colt McCoy had a broken leg at the end of the season, and so his status is sort of up in the air. So the Redskins take Dwayne Haskins. A lot of people said he was a steal. They thought he was the best quarterback in the draft. They got him at number fifteen, and they feel like his game is an excellent fit for the Redskins. Where do you fall?
0: Yeah, I I think they got him at a a good, a good price, a good pick. Uh, I still don't. I said before the draft that the Giants didn't pick Dwayne Haskins, that the fans should be picketing in the street and protesting (laughs) the organization because it made too much sense. Same thing could be said for the Redskins. They get a guy who played locally in Maryland. Um, again, a lot of scouts said he had the best skills of anybody. Could he probably benefited from another year from a football standpoint? Absolutely. But as I said before, I think he'll be good. I think he'll give us enough in the first two years for you to say, oh, this guy can play. Let him mature a little bit, but build people around him, right? Um, so I think they were, that, that was a great pick by them. The only thing that scares me about that is the fact that Daniel Schneider was the one who made the call and I don't know if people always yeah. trust the decisions that
1: he yeah. has. He, he hasn't had a great track record when <laughs> right. he uh, exactly. sticks his nose into the f- football business side of things. But, um, but
0: hey, even a broke clock is right two times a day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> other storylines we had in there, receivers going, not top, but there's a couple of, like, of lower-round, first-round guys that I want to talk about really quickly. Mm-hmm. And A.B.'s cousin, Marquise Brown, going to the Ravens, he's going to give hell to the Steelers. And I just mm-hmm. think it's a funny joke that – Now another Brown receiver is going to be a pain in the Steelers' ass (laughs) for the next 10 years. So I think that is funny. Um, Nikhil Harry to the Patriots, my Patriots, um, continues the Andrew Hawkins legacy of great Patriots receivers. And (laughs) the thing about him that I like about Nikhil is he's not great at separating. And I'm only teeing this up for this one specific point. When you're not great at separating, you need a super accurate quarterback. But if you have strong hands, a big catch radius, and – even if you're not good at separating, you can still do huge numbers, a la Michael Thomas and Drew Brees. I think Nikhil Harry is going to ball out with Tom Brady. Like, because I think the Steelers or the, the Patriots know, like, we don't need you to be the quickest and the, the create the most separation. Our quarterback is so accurate, as long as you can catch it, that's all that matters. Nikhil Harry fits that. I think he's going to ball for the Patriots. The third guy, last one, and I'll stop rambling Deontay, Tom, Deontay, Deontay Johnson to the Steelers. The only reason I'm bringing him up is because I've mentored this kid for, like, four years. Toledo kid. Yeah, Toledo kid, like, since he was a freshman and I, like, basically was trying to teach him. The very first time I ever worked out with him, and this is, like, both a scary thing for Browns fans and it's just a good nugget because I'm the host. Um, But the very first time, like, I learned, like, all these really, really cool and, like, next-level things with Cal Shanahan and Mike McDaniels, who's now the offensive coordinator in San Fran, but he was my receiver coach in Cleveland. And I would try to teach, I would teach him, like, like, I still work with current NFL players from around the league, hit me up, ask me to come work out, show him things, all that kind of stuff. And even still, like, it's hard to pick up right away. With this kid, the very first time I would show him anything, he picked it up instantaneously, right? And this is a Toledo kid. I'm like, you probably should be playing at, you know, Miami. I don't know how you got it, but early on, Everyone knew he was a beast. So to go third round from Toledo after leaving early is a big deal. So he's a guy to look out for. Um, and that's all I got, man. DK Metcalf, yeah. the freak. He went in the third round. I think that was a yeah, drop yeah. or I got, a I got round some two. questions
1: for you. You're, you're my uh, my receiver friend. I think the yeah. only one. Absolutely. Actually, actually, I had a couple of receiver friends. I actually like the receiver room. The 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 group well, that you're built like a receiver was, now. So yeah, yeah. The the group that was always a little difficult to get along with was the the cornerbacks. They were always <laughs> different. Although, yeah. I, although I was really cool with Joe Hayden, and uh, there was a few other guys. Actually, yeah, I like TJ tell. Ward, I was. Yeah, there he's was a lot corner. Of guys he's a really safety. Cool. Yeah, all right. TJ, all right, T.J. Ward yeah, cool. doesn't count. Yeah, corner is very specific. You and Demarius Justin Randall. Gilbert. I guess he's a safety too. I'm you cool and Justin Gilbert were inseparable. Yeah. I guess really, that's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> it was different. Uh, but no. all right, so here, here's something that I've been wanting to ask you and that I don't think we've ever talked about in this show, is, okay, as an offensive lineman, what's my job? I got to block people, right? Push mm-hmm. them. Run game, uh, pass game. As a receiver, what's your job? Catch the football, right? Yep. How, how come there's a lot of receivers that can't catch the football? Like, if that was my yeah, job, if, that's a if good question. catching the football was the most important thing that I did, I would be working on that every single day. Is it something like speed where you can't really get much better at it? Like, hand-eye yeah. coordination is God-given, and is that why guys can't get better at catching the football? Or do guys get better? I guess I'd like you to just lay out that whole argument for me and help me as a fan, as a person that's not a receiver, uh, understand why receivers can't get better at catching the football, or can they? I think you can. You
0: can get out. You can't get better at catching the football. You can get more consistent, and I'll I'll map that out for you. Your ability to catch the football is just kind of God-given. Now, whether you know how to do it or not, that's another thing. And there's ways you can like work on figure out like it's an eyes thing. Like I have small hands, so I would have to concentrate literally from the ball from his hand. Like I couldn't blink. I couldn't blink because blinking took my eye off the ball, and my hands weren't big enough that I could just snag it out. So the concentration was. Was key, but the way I caught was the way I caught, right? And and that helped me with consistency, coming up with a routine with how I catch, to where I didn't have to think about it as much. If you cannot catch, if you don't have the ability to catch a football, like there's people out there who cannot do that. You won't. There's nothing you can do to make that natural, right? But there are people who have never played the game of football, who have better hands than starting receivers in the NFL, just because it's so natural. Now that being said, catching is the one thing that you do. Um, but there are things around that that once you get to a certain level, people can catch, and then there's people with elite hands. Odell Beckham has elite hands. Mm-hmm. You could argue Jarvis Landry has elite hands. There's one-handed catches. Those are not easy. I couldn't. I can't do that. You can let me do that Odell Beckham catch in the Cowboys 40,000 times. I would not catch it one time. I do not have the ability to do that, um, mm-hmm. but I am still have enough catching ability to play in the NFL. The things that you are beyond that is what separates you, and it all stems from how good your quarterback is. So when I was coming out of Canada, uh, the Viking scout, they wouldn't work me out because they said he doesn't have enough contested catches on his tape. And I hit back and I said, that's because no, no one's ever near me. So it's like survival so of the like,
1: So you were trying to say like how fast you were. Like, I beat people so bad. I you am will, so quick. That's why yes. I Yes, like you don't catches. get it.
0: I'll never have oh. contested catches. If you look at all my highlights, very few of them are contested because my value proposition is I can separate, right? And it's okay that I, I don't have contested catches because you're a quarterback who probably isn't that accurate because most quarterbacks aren't that accurate. I will give him enough space to put it in the vicinity because I'll be so far away from the defender. The throws are going
1: to be easier for him right so then that that scout said uh now you're off to our draft board because you have yeah, obviously big ego yeah you're so exactly. arrogant you, <laughs> exactly. okay i get your point but now you're so arrogant that we're not gonna draft you <laughs> yes now it's a red now it's a character flaw <laughs> but yeah
0: so if there's basically a formula for being a good receiver that you kind of pick from everywhere speed quickness hands uh suddenness um you know, physicality. Those are all things that you use to get open. And then when the ball is
1: there, if the better hands you have, the less separation you need. So do you think that NFL receivers should work on the jugs machine more than they do? Do you feel like it's some a skill that receivers should be working more at?
0: Yeah, I think you need to work all of your craft. I think everybody is different. You know, like I, I did the footwork just like I told you, but I never worked on my footwork because I had the best focal. My footwork is the equivalent of Eldale Beckham's hands. I didn't need to work on it. It came natural to me. I probably spent the majority of my time on the jugs machine, on other things that I knew I needed to get better at. It's a pyramid, and same goes for offensive linemen or anything you're doing in life. At the top of the pyramid is what you're best at, right? So the majority of your focus and your training or your work or things you need to get better at needs to be the things that are on the bottom row of the pyramid, because those are things you're not as good at right, and you work from there up because the thing at the peak is you always need to be great at that one thing at the top. Like, Joe Thomas, I don't know what your one thing was because I don't know what matters for offensive linemen, but that Nothing. was something that was always good. Like, I would tell most of new, like, Mo, you're physical, be physical. Like, they drafted you because you're a big physical receiver. Be physically, physical and strong. They drafted me to be quick. They didn't draft me to be anything else. They didn't sign me to be anything other than quick. So if all of a sudden I stopped losing my quickness, I'm no longer in the league, you know? Like, so make the main yeah. thing the main thing and work on yeah. the other things.
1: Well, you know, I heard an interesting argument and it's all uh, circuitous, I guess, but um, uh, an interesting argument yesterday where somebody said, you want to be spending your time where you're going to get the most bang for your buck. And so if you're really bad at something and you work on it and you work on it and you work on it and you're really not getting that much better that quickly, just uh-huh. forget about it and just keep working on what makes you great like right. take that to the even the nth degree so yep. if you're the fastest receiver or if you have the best hands of any receiver in the world but you can still get better at a faster rate than if you work on like your quickness or something like that. Right. Then just screw the quickness. Don't even work on it. Just work on whatever (laughs) you're amazing at and just get that even more amazing and make sure that nobody can even touch you in that category. You need one of those things. You need that one thing that makes you different than everybody else. Yeah. All right. Quickly, strong hands, you said is important and catch radius. How do you work on those things? Um, strong hands. I don't know if you can, I mean, you work the same way you strengthen anything else. You
0: lift, you do grippers, you do all that kind of stuff. Um, catch radius. It doesn't quite matter. You're like your size is your size. Your reach That's a straight reach. size. That has nothing to do with That's, like flexibility or
1: anything like that.
0: Yeah, no, man. It, it's, it's other things in there. Like you are who you are, which is yeah. my like philosophy around receivers. I dropped the and I dropped the pass, but it was a, I scored a touchdown versus The Jets. Two touchdowns versus the Jets. I think I scored one versus the Patriots, and I was going for like a third game in a row. I forget who we were playing. Um, I'm rolling out. It was a low ball, and I'm like, I'm going to score three touchdowns in three three consecutive games and never done it, and I went down and tried to make a fingertip catch. I got it in my hand, hit my my back on the ground. When I rolled, it came out. It would have been a tough catch. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was one of those things if you catch it it was a great catch if you didn't ah you should have got that and -hmm. the coaches are on me like you got to catch it you got to catch it i'm like beating myself up over it and i watched the film and i'm like dude i it was like i know myself i'm only making that catch two out of ten times right Mm -hmm. this just happened to be one of the eight i am who i am if we did it ten times i would catch it twice and i was i would always just pray that it's one of the two but i'm not going to make that catch that The majority of the time, and you can't really beat yourself up over not being that. Like I can't beat myself up over not being stronger than Joe Thomas. It's just not in the cards. It's not so, going to happen. That's just the reality of it, man. But we like especially to think we now. can control
1: more than we can. Yeah, especially now that I lift weights every single day. Yeah, and I'm sore from picking
0: me. my kids up yesterday. So it's yeah. whatever. <laughs> uh,
1: okay, another surprise that uh, a lot of gurus said was a big surprise after the draft was DK Metcalf, the uh, human Adonis, yes, was a not Benjamin. drafted until the second round. A lot of people thought he'd be the first receiver. He ran a, what, 3.6 40-yard dash at the combine and yep. supposedly had 1% body fat, which yep. I still don't understand that number because I don't believe you can be alive with such low body fat, to be, to be <laughs> honest. I just... This is this is no BS. I just did my body fat uh, when I was in Cleveland on Friday. Hawk, would you uh, like to guess what my percentage was? Body fat. You're naturally a bigger guy, so it's going to be a I'm little higher. Guy. I would say eleven. Mm-hmm. It was seventeen percent. Ah, you're a big dude, though, man. So you got a lot of fat. You know, fifty pounds of fat on me or whatever. So I got plenty. I to probably lose. have
0: seventeen percent.
1: I got a long. I got a long way to go, but. Anyways, the point of that was DK <laughs> Metcalf has 1% body fat and he's 230 pounds. So That's wild. he's basically, and he's like 6'4. So he's, a he's red flag, basically though. me with all the rest of the fat on my body removed. So That's muscle. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then he's got all that muscle. So if he's 228 pounds, that means he has 225 pounds of lean mass on his body and i have like That's 200 wild. so he has 30 po- almost 30 more pounds of lean mass on his body than i do and he runs a 4.3 and he's a receiver that gets drafted in the second round were you surprised by this i wasn't because he's a walking red flag to me <laughs> i there were here
0: there's multiple things that i'm like i don't know i'm not saying he's not going to be good i think he will be good but to go that high i thought somebody would have been reaching for this reason you can't be that much of a freak and not dominate where you're at, right? Yep. He's in the SEC, places where we've seen A.J. Green, Julio Jones, these other kind of like freaks dominate. We've seen Josh Gordon, even for the small time he was at Baylor. He dominated. This guy wasn't even the leading receiver on his own team. That's a red flag to me. For you to be this phys- physically gifted and not be the lead receiver in college is a red flag. Now, beyond that, his three-cone – Was a seven three eight. His short shuttle was a four five. For context, Hawk Tom, you're you're a little bit over that, right? No, I'm yes, I'm a little bit over that. Tom, let's give us context. All right, context. I'll map it this way. My three cone was a six six seven. Okay, (laughs) my short shuttle was a three eight six. (laughs) Oh, DK Metcalf's. Is a three, a seven-three-eight three cone, and a four-five shuttle time. Tom Brady is a seven-two short cone, faster than DK Metcalf, and a four, three, eight 20 twenty-yard shuttle, faster than DK Metcalf. It is alarming for you to run that fast, be that physically gifted in a straight line, and not be able to move laterally. Laterally, that means you're not great with movement. You're not great in the route tree. You're not, you know, straight line. Cool. That's That's not normal in the NFL. That is not number one receiver stuff. If you're a number one receiver, which was where first round picks go, you need to be able to do everything. So that was an uh, alarming thing to me. I think he got picked in a a good spot. I wouldn't have been surprised to see him fall to round three because, again, anyone who struggles to move laterally at receiver at that level is a big red flag I would pass 100% of the time.
1: I think you said everything we need to know about him. <laughs> I, I agree. He only had thirty catches his senior or his last year at yeah. MS too. So. so what do you expect on
0: the next level? And I'm a guy who didn't have big stats, but mine I feel like was more of opportunity. He's a freak. I'm not a like freak, like I'm not six two with one percent body fat, two hundred and thirty pounds, running a four
1: a three six forty like he did. Hmm. So that's yeah. yeah. He will impress guys in the locker room though when he takes his shirt off. So maybe that's what Seattle was looking for. to motivate yeah. some guys in the weight room like You see him, like when Miles Garrett walked into the weight room for the first time, all of a sudden the weight room filled up real quick because (laughs) everyone felt like they needed to get in there because they were being shamed when Miles took his shirt off. First guy off the Uh, bus. Here we talk about Miles with the shirt off again. Yep, uh, a shocker. A shocker. That's like a segment on our show. Yeah. All right, uh, last thing here from the NFL draft. I think we'll wrap it up, but um, what was your under-the-radar pick that you think will really be successful um, that you liked from this weekend?
0: Under the radar pick, I like um, the Ridley kid from Georgia that went to the Bears, receiver. Um, his brother is the, the uh, Ridley that plays for the Falcons. I can't recall their first names. Calvin Ridley. Calvin Ridley, and I think his brother's name is Riley Ridley. Hmm. We don't have the, our statistician isn't here to, to fact check me, but Riley it's not really, football
1: season, so our yeah, names aren't as sharp as they usually are.
0: Yeah, it's it's a lot going on, but Riley really to the to the to the Bears. I think he's he's going to be really good for them. Liked him coming out, I think he. I don't think he was fail per se as the way the scout or the scouts or the analysts had him going. I just think he's really good, and I feel like they're going to get a lot of value out of that pick.
1: How I'm going to be a little bit of a homer here, and I'm going to say. I know who you're going to say. Can I guess? Mm no because you probably guess it. Can
0: I guess And all right, you can then, guess. All right. Michael Dieter ah, to the son Dolphins. Of a bitch. He's <laughs> versatile. He can play guard, he can play center, he can mm-hmm. play tackle. He's one of those utility offensive linemen that yeah. you can put in there to make sure he plays across all the positions. How does that
1: sound? Uh Well, you pretty much said it all right there. So (laughs) all I'm going to add to that (laughs) is I think the Dolphins got a really good player here. He was a guy that had an exceptional 2017 season. Uh, Wisconsin's offensive line had a little bit of a down year in 2018, and that hurt all three of those guys um, that came out this year in Mm -hmm. the draft. And although I think – these guys are all going to have really good careers. And I think Michael Dieter is a great fit for the Dolphins. He's going to be a guy that could be there for 10-plus years and uh, play some really good football for him. So Josh Rosen's got an offensive lineman in front of him that's versatile, like Hawk said, and <laughs> that they could grow together for a very long and happy time. So, I love it. Uh, Any time you track.
0: draft an O-lineman for Wisconsin, you're in good hands. You're, I you're genuinely believe hand,
1: so. that. So yeah, I think that that about wraps up the draft show. That was fun. I, I will say, I think it started a little bit slow. You know, we're not doing a lot of podcasts in the off season, know, so we were man. feeling each other out a little bit. But I think we picked up some really good steam, and did. Uh, that was that was a fun show. I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed your receiver takes. And uh, I can't wait to do it again, my friend.
0: Exactly. For everybody listening, listen, make sure you tweet us using the hashtag Tomahawk. We are doing our Tomahawk reboot. We have big news coming. You have to bear with us. But I promise we will be back. We will be back in a big way where you get to hear us more consistently. You get to hear some of the hottest takes and hopefully even see us. Listen, follow us on Twitter, at Tomahawk Show. Subscribe. Rate us five stars. It's free. It helps others find the show. And that way you never miss an episode. Hmm. I think that does it for now. Till next time, my friends. Joe, final thoughts? All I gotta say is, Joe, hawk yourself. Mmm. Couldn't have said it better myself.